Okay. Um, yes, it's on. Psalm 57. Psalm 57 is somewhat similar to some of the other psalms that we've been looking at. So what I want us to do is to focus on, on two things from this psalm as we go through it. One is, ask yourself this question, how does this psalm speak of God? And then the other question is, how does this psalm speak of David's enemies? So I want you to listen for those things as we read through the psalm. Just uh, 11 verses here. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted among the heaven, above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. The inscription says it's a writing of David when he fled from Saul in the cave, which is found in 1 Samuel 24. I won't read that for sake of time, but just kind of summarize it for us. Saul's been uh, chasing David for some time now. David's made his covenant with Jonathan. David has been helped by the priests whom Saul kills because they help him after Doeg reveals that they helped David. Uh, David goes to a city. Saul thinks that he's caught him. God gives him victory against Saul. Then the Ziphites betray David and say, hey, David's hiding among us. So Saul goes to try to catch him again. Then it comes to chapter 24. Saul is told that David was in the wilderness of Engedi, And David is hiding in a place called the Rocks of the Wild Goats. Saul goes into the cave. And David's men says, now's your opportunity. Go kill him while he's vulnerable. He's in the cave. He's not anticipating anyone's going to be hiding back here. Seize your opportunity. Take the rulership of Israel. David says, I'm not going to do it. Cuts off the edge of Saul's robe. And then later, Saul's out of the cave. And David comes to the cave and he says, Saul, look, I cut off the edge of your robe. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have even done anything against the Lord's anointed. Now, God had already told David he was going to be king. And yet, Saul was still the king at this point. And so, David said, you know what? It's in God's time what's going to happen to Saul. And I cannot go against him. 
Notice what David says. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Saul has this astounding response of weeping, calling him my son David. And then verse 20, I know that you will surely be king. The kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Right before that he says, May the Lord reward you with good in return for what you've done to me this day. And Saul asks him to swear not to cut off his descendants. David promises it. Ironically, God cuts off Saul's descendants by the hands of other people in judgment against Saul, but not by David's hand. They go their separate ways. In connection with presumably that circumstance, we have this psalm. But even aside from that circumstance, I want you to think about the way that this psalm describes God and the way that this psalm describes David's enemies. How is God described? Well, David starts out by saying, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, in verse 1, and says, I'm going to take refuge in you until destruction passes by. Notice the contrast between that and verse 7 where it has sort of a similar structure. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Why the difference in tone between that first section and the last section of the psalm? Because he anticipates God's deliverance, which comes in the middle part. How does he describe God? Verse 2, God most high. There is no other God, but God is also on high and most high and exalted. He is a God in terms of actions who accomplishes uh, the all things is in italics because that's supplied by the translators to God who accomplishes for me and the understanding would be all things. The God who delivers me, he will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who tramples on me. So he talks to first of all what God is like. God is a refuge. God is one who sort of covers with his wings. You may be seeing that with a a bird covering her young with, with her wings to both protect them and keep them warm and safe, all those sorts of things. God is most high. And then in terms of God's actions, he accomplishes things. He can send from heaven and save. He can reproach the one who tramples upon him. Then we have this pause, this Selah, in the middle, toward the end of verse 3. And then he says, God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. We're going to see that idea of loving kindness and truth again in verse 10. But then in the middle section, he moves forth to what the people that he's facing are like. What are they like? Lions, dragons, men with teeth of spears and arrows and tongues of swords. What's this imagery? Not people you want to meet in a dark alley late at night, right? People who are going to come against you and destroy you. It, by any way they can. And yet he comes in the middle of that section and says, Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. It's like in the middle of this description of his enemies, he has to pause and say, But God, be exalted. You can deliver me. You can make your name known despite all of these things. Then he goes back to a description of these people. They prepare a net. My soul's bowed down. They dug a pit. But here comes God's deliverance. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Was this proverbial, like this is what usually happens? 
Uh, there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation, at least in the section that we just read from 1 Samuel. We do know, knowing the whole of the story, that that's what happens to Saul. Saul has schemed against David, and Saul dies at the hands of his enemies instead. Right? He goes out against the Philistines. He's defeated in battle. He dies by his own hand when he's lifted up his hand against David. And so the irony is, David wouldn't strike down God's anointed. God's former anointed tries to strike down David, ends up striking himself down by his own hand as we look at the whole of the life of Saul. I don't know that David necessarily knew this when he was composing this psalm, but he anticipated God's deliverance from lions, dragons, dangerous men, their description is in verse 4, and then their actions in verse 6, laying a net for his steps. Um, maybe you've ever set a trap for something. In, uh, in Allen Park, it was rats we were trying to get rid of in the backyard. Um, caught some big ones. Found a big one in the road by the car. Someone else had caught it with their tire. Um, Laying a trap. Why do you lay a trap for something? Not because you want it to be your best friend. Not because you're looking out for its best interests. You want it gone. That's what they're doing. The response that he had to this was that his soul was bowed down. He was in sorrow. He was in grief. He was overwhelmed, potentially, by this circumstance. They dug a pit. Again, you don't dig a pit because you're watching out for somebody and you say, here's a pit, fall into it, it'll be good for you. He was digging the pit, to they were digging the pit to destroy him, but in a proverbial sense, they are the ones who fall into the midst of it. In response to seeing God's deliverance, that their plans are frustrated, that their malice is turned against themselves instead of against David, what is his response? Just like he said, be gracious, be gracious. Now he says, my heart is steadfast, my heart is steadfast. The first is a sort of prayer. The other is the other side of it, an expression of praise. We tend to be good at one or the other, but not always both. Asking God about something, pleading with him for something, but then sometimes we don't thank him when he does give the answer to the prayer. Or sometimes we don't necessarily ask for the prayer for ourselves or for someone else, but maybe we're good at thanking God when He answers other people's prayers. This psalm, I think, lays out a picture that we ought to be doing both. How is He going to praise God? I will sing, I will sing praises, awake my glory, awake harp and lyre, I will awake in the dawn. So He is going to sing, He's going to praise God with His musical instrument, He's going to do so loudly and joyfully and exuberantly, who is he going to do it in front of? Among the peoples, among the nations. So, was this because he had been among the Philistines? Or is he simply saying the fact that God deserves praise not just among the Israelites, but among all peoples? We could theoretically take it in either sense. Verse 10 picks up this theme at the end of verse 3. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Now on the other side, David is seeing God's loving kindness and His truth. It's great to the heavens. It's great to the clouds. And then in conclusion, let be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. So what is God like? 
in this passage. God is glorious. God deserves praise. God delivers His people. God causes the enemies of His people's plans to be frustrated and to turn inward upon them. What are David's enemies like? Dangerous people who scheme to destroy him, but God frustrates their plans. What is David like? Prayer, acknowledgement of his danger, praise to God for his deliverance. And so I think in this psalm, regardless of the fact that we don't have the same circumstances as David, I think David lays out a helpful pattern for us. Pray to God, acknowledge what the problem is, praise God as He delivers you. I think we have a helpful reminder of what our God is like. God is a God of loving kindness and truth. He is loyally faithful to the people that He has made promises to. And He is true. He's not fickle or unpredictable or someone that we can't trust. These two words come up over and over again to describe, even define God's interaction with His people throughout the Old Testament. We talked about the fact that in the New Testament, loving kindness probably corresponds to grace, and then truth carries over well. So in Christ, we have seen this aspect of God's character. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What about enemies? We may not face enemies exactly the same that David faced. People aren't coming after us with swords and spears. People aren't, at this point in our history, driving us out of our homes. We're not living in the wilderness, anything like that. But there is opposition against God's people. There is an acknowledgement that God can be glorified even in the midst of that, and we ought to desire that to be the case. And then there is the reality that we can praise God when He delivers us as His people. And there's probably secondary applications to when God delivers us not only from specific people, but also from circumstances with regard to, to health or problems at work or all those sorts of things. But the main focus here is when people oppose you, when they seem like they're about to destroy you in some way, God can frustrate their plans and turn them against themselves. You need to have called out to God about that circumstance. You need to praise God after that circumstance. And then we can follow David's example from this psalm. Let's pray.